continuing on our series in uh, James this morning. Um, I want to ask you a question. Do you feel angrier these days? <laughs> that was rhetorical. Um, but thanks for, I'm honored by your vulnerability. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. If you feel that way, it's not just you. In uh, 2019, remember, that was like before the pandemic, uh, Gallup, a big sort of survey organization, did a global poll asking people a bunch of questions, and they concluded that 2019 had been their angriest year uh, since they started measuring in the early 2000s. That's before the pandemic. Uh, Gallup did the same poll last year and found that in 2020, so reflecting on the year before, that had been angrier still. People are getting angrier. And I think we sense that. That was a global poll, but we sense it in New Zealand too. We're seeing it, you know, I think we have historically prided ourselves on being pretty chill, pretty stoic, um, but we've seen it in our own country, a sense of anger. It's leveled at government, it's leveled at specific individuals in government, but it's actually also leveled at just sort of everyday folk that we bump into and who happen to be unfortunate enough to be on the receiving end of our anger. And last year, John Campbell fronted a program called Anger, Anxiety, and Us, um, exploring this, and, and they interviewed a few different Kiwis who have, um, you know, so-called frontline jobs, and talking to them about, you know, the, the increase in hostility that they're experiencing, the level of anger that is being directed towards them. So I'm going to show a very short clip of their reflections. It. it would get uh, bottles thrown at us. Multiple times we were punched, kicked, scratched. Intimidating photos taken of them and a road bike thrown at someone. One of the guys just trying to punch on my face. Me and my staff have been spat on, we've been uh, bitten. I was bitten on my leg two times. I've had people spit in my face. Some of my workers have actually been stabbed. Now, the program was kind of framing this in terms of is this who we really want to be as a country? And if that's the question that mainstream New Zealand is asking, then how much more so as followers of Jesus do we want to ask that same question? Do we want to be the kind of people who are sucked into the sort of anger that is hanging in, in the kind of cultural air and be the kind of people that are contributing to that kind of uh, world and society? We're continuing on in James and... You know, James is a great book. Not everyone agrees. Um, the famous theologian Martin Luther called it a right straw epistle. Stroy means like straw. And apparently he didn't like straw because he didn't like James. So there's two things he didn't like. I don't quite get what he has against straw. Um, but, you know, I think James is a great book. I mean, I think Martin Luther's thing was that he was so big on uh, grace, that he felt like James was undercutting that by emphasizing the fact that we need to actually put our faith into action. Now, I don't think that um, James would disagree with Paul, but that's sort of Martin Luther's take. But this is what I think is really great about James, is it's so um, uh, practical. It's so emphatic that we need to actually kind of put flesh on the, on the bones about what we say we believe and actually live it out. But as I read James, I find that he jumps around a lot, goes from one topic to another, and then he returns to them. 
So it's not like he kind of finishes off one topic and then moves to the next, and it's sort of like this linear thing. It's sort of, he's jumping around. It's almost like he's not a, a post-Enlightenment Westerner. And, um, and so for that reason, the way I want to approach this passage today is to jump around a little bit in the hopes that we might make a little bit more sense of how it might hang together. Because at first blush, it doesn't sort of work in a kind of nice linear way. Um, now, I'm not saying James wrote it wrong, but like I said, he just is in a 21st century Kiwi, and so we think a little different, so let's just come at it a little different. So I'm going to jump right into the middle of the passage. So our, our passage today is um, chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, and I think if we were going to summarize the entire passage, we might uh, frame it in terms of this question, do you want a worthless faith or a faultless faith? Worthless and faultless, these are the words that James uses in this passage. But if we jump right into the middle of the passage, we find this. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So the, the metaphor here is a mirror, looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like, which kind of sounds stupid, but I actually do this all the time, like ev- literally every day. Because every day when I look in the mirror, I'm just low-key shocked that I don't look 21. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, there's some like, little thing that's like, mm, a little paunchier than my mental image, you know? It's somehow like... At some point, when I was 21, I looked in the mirror, I said, yes, and then it just locked in, and, and every time since then, I'm like a little bit shocked, and so I do this all the time. Now, the, we can f- look in the mirror and forget what we look like, and it, and it can kind of go two ways. We can look in the mirror and see actually a, an unhealthy body, and we can walk away and, and forget that we're maybe not as healthy as we should be, and then we just kind of carry on gorging ourselves or sitting on the couch or whatever. But it can go the other way too, can't it, where we can actually look in the mirror and see a a healthy body and walk away and think, I'm not the body I should be, and then we start, you know, maybe um, engaging in some unhealthy practices. In fact, either way, we're likely to have a slightly distorted relationship with exercise and food, you know, when we forget what we look like. Now, James is saying... The, the law here, now the, the word law is tricky and Bible nerds like to argue about this in James 1, let's not. Let's just kind of go with, he's kind of roughly talking about, you know, looking into the scriptures, looking into the Bible, okay? When we look into the Bible, it's like we're holding up a mirror and it can kind of work two ways as well, just like a, a real mirror. We can look at the Bible and we can be presented with an image of who we are meant to be best exemplified by the person of Jesus Christ. Irenaeus, famous theologian back in the day, called Jesus man fully alive. You know, so we're getting a picture of who we're meant to be, the the perfect image of God. And so we see that. We see who we're meant to be, and then we walk away and we forget that and we just carry on doing our stupid thing. It can also go the other way. We We can look in this mirror and it can expose us, and we can see that there are things and ways that we fall short. 
Maybe we even feel a twinge of regret. And then we put that down and we walk away and we forget about it and we just keep doing our stupid thing. And James is saying, if you hear the Scriptures, if you hear the teachings of Jesus, if you're presented with this human being fully alive, as we hear about him here, and then we don't actually do anything in our lives about it, we're just like people who have looked in a mirror and then we just forget. Don't be like that, is what he's saying. Verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, they'll be blessed in what they do. That is putting your faith into action. That is taking what you say you believe and actually acting on it. This principle is the most famous principle of James. It's kind of the central idea. And in true James-like fashion, he's gonna, he introduces it here, but he'll come back to it later. So this won't be the last you hear of it in this series. But it's so central, isn't it? I mean, it's such a, a massive temptation for us to say all the right things, but not actually put it into practice. And James is saying, don't be that person. Because if you do, you're going to be the kind of person who has this uh, worthless faith. Instead, we want to be the kind of people who have a faultless faith. Now, that, of course, that principle of, of practicing what you preach is applicable to everything in life. But here, James really just... Uh, like locks it on or applies it to a particular area of life. And so I want to zoom in on that. But it's a little bit hard when you read it to sort of capture it. So we've got this kind of passage here that's sort of in the middle of it, but then either side of it as a kind of, um, kind of sandwiching this kind of passage is a couple of related ideas in verses 19 and 20 and in verse 26, creating kind of bookends. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So the way he wants us in this particular passage to think about how do we actually live out our faith is in relation to how we interact with people and the kind of self-control or lack thereof we exercise when we converse, when we discuss, when we're engaged with other people. And he's saying, be quick to listen. Listen to the other person. Be slow to speak. Don't just be jumping in with your opinion before you've heard them. And be slow to anger. Just chill. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Keep a tight rein on your tongues. All these things add up to being people who have a faultless kind of faith rather than a worthless kind of faith. Now, you might think about it and you go, but why is he telling us to be slow to anger? I mean, there's something good about anger, isn't there? Is it, uh, we need to be angry about stuff, and there's a lot of things to get angry about in the world, things that maybe we should be angry about, and if we don't get angry about it, we're even more likely to be complacent. So shouldn't we be getting angry about that stuff? Does James not care 
about all the people out there who are suffering and need somebody to get angry on their behalf and fight against injustice? Well, James very much cares about those people. In fact, at the end of this passage, verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Widows and orphans is this kind of biblical shorthand for people who are vulnerable, oppressed, marginalized, poor, however you want to put it. And he's saying, if you are not fighting for their benefit, if you're not looking out for them, if you're not caring for them, then your faith could be worthless. So James very much cares about injustice in the world. He believes that we should be uh, seeking to bring about justice in our own little way in our world, looking out for the people who have gotten a raw deal in life. He definitely believes that. And yet at the same time, in the same passage, he's saying, but be careful with how you engage with people and be slow to anger. And I find that kind of convicting, especially in the kind of current cultural climate that we live in. Because I know times when I haven't done that. He uses this phrase here, being polluted by the world. And earlier in the passage, he talks about keeping, keeping yourself free of all moral filth. I don't know about you, but when I hear about that kind of language, it's kind of like um, dirt metaphor, if you like. Um, I, I honestly, I think of sexual immorality. That's the kind of thing. I think he's sort of talking about sexual immorality, but I actually don't think that's what he's referring to primarily in this passage. I think he's talking about anger. That seems to be what he's talking about, that, or that kind of attitude. Don't be polluted by the sort of anger that is in the air. So somehow we want to seek justice, because if we don't, our faith, our words, all this is worthless. And yet, at the same time, the way we engage with people is gracious and slow to anger. And that's a bit different. It's a bit different to the, the kind of world we're living in at the moment. We are being encouraged to be angry. And it's not, again, it's not that we should never be angry. The prophets in the Bible got angry. Jesus got angry. It's not like there's never a place for it. But we are in a culture that is trying to form us into angry people. And we see this in all sorts of ways. Anger is, um, is sort of baked into a lot of the technologies and the news sources that we have. And we walk away feeling or being encouraged to be more angry. And therefore engage with other people in a more sort of angry kind of way. Now... James, and earlier in James 1, he talks about the fact that we are tempted when our own evil desires kind of are hooked by external forces and we are dragged away and enticed, is what he says. But the crucial thing for our purpose is that he talks about there's an evil desire in us. We know that we have, we're, we're sinners, right? That would be the, the kind of Christian language for it. We know we're, we have faults, we're, we're broken kind of people, and we have these little desires in us that external forces can latch onto and then drag us into ungodly kinds of behavior. One of the um, 
founding fathers of the U.S. He's called father of the U.S. Constitution, and he was one of the early presidents of America. This guy, James Madison. And um, he talked about one of these evil desires in us as factionalism. They're just the kind of tendency that we have to pick fights and to be in us and them kind of camps. And he recognized this is a problem. He recognized that we have this kind of, to use James's phrase, evil desire in us. And he said this, where no substantial occasion presents itself, the most frivolous and fanciful distinctions have been sufficient to kindle their unfriendly passions and excite their most violent conflicts. What he's saying is even when there's nothing really to fight about, we'll find a way. We'll find something to fight about and get really angry about it. We'll get, he knows, he gets something about us that we can get sucked into stupid, trivial arguments. We can express anger over little things. And this is what we're seeing in our world. Uh, there's a Hollywood actor who got piled on in Twitter because he wanted to give away a cat. Um, a U.S. senator was laying into Big Bird for promoting a public health initiative. These, and, and people are encouraged to, you know, share this and get angry and all this kind of thing, and you just got to step back from it and go, is this the sort of thing that we're meant to get angry about? Or is this latching on to an evil desire or kind of a desire for factionalism that is going to drag me into an us and them mentality so that I actually engage with people around me, including people within the family of faith, with hostility? I think that's what we're being sucked into because rage is big business. News media these days is largely subscription-driven and the things that drive subscriptions is things that stoke anger, especially anger at an outgroup, at someone, a, a different group, different to your tribe. That sells. We used to say sex sells, but I think the, the sort of media masterminds at the moment understand that actually anger sells. Social media privileges this reaction more than the others in their algorithm. So that, um, and, and uh, through a number of other ways, so that content that makes you angry and or makes you feel like you belong to a particular tribe and therefore are angry at another one, another tribe, that's the stuff that gets uh, privileged in the algorithm, that's the stuff that's more likely to appear on your feed, and that's why when you turn off your, your Facebook or whatever platform you're using, you often walk away feeling kind of angry. It's a rage economy. Anger is being monetized. And that's why if we blow it up to a big, uh, the big scale, I think that's probably why we see populism in the political sphere on the rise around the world. You know, uh, politicians who tap into but also stoke anger. So what do we do? Because James is calling us to something else. He's saying don't be polluted by that. That's moral filth. Don't get sucked into it. And James's advice is this, go slow. He's not saying never get angry, but go slow. And everything in our culture seems to want us to respond quickly with a hot take and respond in a kind of reactionary way and things just blow up. I mean, think about your own just interpersonal relationships. We know that when we feel anger at a loved one, 
sometimes we just need to take a breather. We know that sometimes when we don't seem to be making any progress in the heat of the moment, if we just walk away for a little while, just put hit pause on that discussion and come back, we can often work through things a lot easier. So we know this at an interpersonal level, but it applies in all sorts of ways, I think. The, this idea of just going slow, being slow to anger. And so I think the application for us is actually pretty straightforward. It's, it's this, and James just puts it really simply, quick, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I think when we do that, we allow, we allow our superpower to come to the fore. This kind of human superpower of empathy. We are made in the image of God. And empathy is one of those ways that we reflect God's image. When we are coming hammer and tongs with somebody and we're shouting over the top of them and we're not giving them any of the benefit of the doubt and we're engaging with them that kind of way, we kind of shut down the ability for us to exercise the superpower of empathy. But I think if we do what James says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, then all of a sudden our empathy comes out and we walk away from an interaction with somebody who we thought we didn't like and we go, I kind of get where they're coming from. I might still disagree with them, but, but I get where they're coming from, and I don't hate them. And I recognize that maybe their group is not really different from my group at all. You know, and that empathy, that, that God-given ability for us to connect and understand where somebody is coming from is allowed to really come to the fore. It's, it's simple advice, but really profound and helpful in our moment, I think, and challenging. I think in many ways, all James is asking us to do is to be like Jesus. Think about the kinds of words Jesus used and how it might apply to us. When we face hostility, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When tempted to judge others, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. When hurting from others' words, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. When encountering the anger of the world, take heart, I have overcome the world. When power and aggression seem like the only way, I am gentle and humble in heart. When engaged in escalating conflict, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When violence seems somehow justified, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. When being treated unfairly, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We follow the one who was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and may we do the same. Let me pray. King Jesus, help us to obey your teaching and follow your example. By your Spirit, teach us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Shape us into a people known for peace, following the Prince of Peace. Amen.